If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. If you didn't bring your Bible and you'd like to follow along with us, the uh, Bibles in front of you are there for your use. You can find our passage on page 169. Uh, We would love for you to be able to follow along. Uh, We're going to be actually finishing our Onward series today in Joshua before we go into Easter week. Um, We could keep going in Joshua. There's a lot of great meat, but for our purposes, this is an appropriate place to stop. Uh, The book of Joshua can actually kind of be divided into three different parts. And we today come to the conclusion of part one, where the Israelites are in the promised land and they are enjoying the fruit of the promised land. And so in our context, as we've been speaking just about transition uh, and going from one place into another, this seems like an appropriate place to stop and we'll begin something fresh, something new uh, after Easter uh, that we're looking forward to. Um, So let me read the first just 12 verses. Verses of Joshua, and I'll pray, and we'll begin. Joshua 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of uh, Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time... The Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation of of the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them, that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they uh, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Now, Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, would you make it alive for us? Because it is a living word. Father, I recognize that the words that I say up here carry no power and carry no weight and can only get to the ears of people, Lord. So I am asking you, that the Holy Spirit would show and demonstrate his presence and his power and that he would enable these words to reach beyond the ears and into the hearts of men and women. Would you be with us, Lord, as we study your word? In your holy name I pray, amen. 
One of my favorite stories from when I was little was uh, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, Lewis wrote seven books, all telling the, the tale of the amazing adventures in the fictitious land of Narnia. Um, in the closing chapters of the final book, uh, Lewis writes how Narnia is actually destroyed and all of those who are following Aslan the lion, who's this God, uh, this, this character that's supposed to represent God, um, everybody who is following him actually are taken into a new sort of Narnia. It's called Aslan's country. Uh, this, this land is what is identified as the real Narnia. It replaces the, the old Narnia. And I'd like to read an excerpt from the book, The Last Battle the final book, uh, where the narrator is just trying to describe this, this beautiful yet somewhat familiar new Narnia. And so this comes from the last battle. This is the narrator trying to describe this Narnia. He's, here's what he says. It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it If you think of it like this, you may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea or a green valley that wound away among mountains. And in the wall of that room, opposite of the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror where in one sense were in one sense just the same as the real ones yet at the same time they were somehow different deeper more wonderful more like places in a story in a story you have never heard but very much want to know the difference between the old narnia and the new narnia was like that the new one was a deeper country every rock And flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. I think we're all familiar, or at least can understand the euphoric feeling of home. We often associate words like rest, and comfort, and joy with home. There's nothing quite like going home. I think we can resonate with Dorothy's sentiments that there is no place like home. In the passage we read a moment ago, we see that after several centuries, the Israelites are finally home. They're finally home, and they're finally enjoying the fruit of that home. But before we get to that point where they're enjoying home and enjoying their fruit, there's actually in our passage one thing that they needed to do. 
They needed to renew their relationship with God. And it's interesting because as you look at verse 2, it's not the people that are renewing this relationship, but it's actually God as the one instigating it. He's the one giving the instructions. And how in God's mind do, do, do the Israelites renew their relationship with him? It's through this process of circumcision. Now circumcision in its most basic sense is a surgical procedure that created a mark on the human body. However, in this context, it means so much more. It means so much more. If you were to turn to Genesis 15, you would actually see that God has made a covenant with Abraham. It's essentially an agreement. And God has told Abraham, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a great nation. That is my part of the deal, but your people will be my special people. You will have an entire nation, but you will have a very special relationship with me. These Israelites are my people. And then in Genesis 17, he goes on to explain to Abraham that every male born in Abraham's family line must be circumcised, and this will function as a sign between God and his people. It's a sign of the covenant between God and his people, right? And so it's through this ritual practice that the Jewish people became a marked people belonging to God. That was the purpose of circumcision, to show that they were a marked people and they belonged to God. When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to take a missions trip to Whitby, England. It was the summer going into my senior year. Uh, Whitby is a, is a beautiful harbor town on the east coast of, of England. And oftentimes during our trip, we would drive out of Whitby into the countryside. And it would not be uncommon for us as we were driving through some of the most beautiful landscapes I've ever seen, it would not be uncommon for us to see hundreds of masses of sheep just wandering about on the hillsides eating their grass, right? And so I couldn't help but notice as I was seeing these hundreds of flocks of sheep, that each sheep had a mark painted on their back. It was right below their neck, right in between their shoulder blades was like a little colored dot. And so I asked our guide at one point, what is the purpose of those dots? Why are, why are they there? And the guide told me they are for identification, they're for identification. He, he, he says these dots actually represent which farmers these sheep belong to. And so as the sheep go and intermingle with other flocks, the farmers will know those ones that are marked in this way or with this color are my sheep. These are my sheep. In the same way, this mark of circumcision on the Israelites was God's way of saying that as you go about and mingle with the, the nations of the world, as you intermingle with other flocks, you always have to remember that you belong to me. You and your bodies are mine because you are a special group of people. You have a unique identity. You are the people that I have taken out of the world, that I have separated out. You are unique, and you are a wholly separated nation. 
Just as the Israelites in the Old Testament were a chosen people of God out of the world, modern day Christ followers are also a chosen people, a separated people. We have a different sign though. There is actually a correlation in the New Testament between circumcision and Easter, believe it or not. Our sign is much different and it's, uh, you can see it in Colossians 2 is the connection. This is what Paul writes in Colossians 2 verses 11 through, 11 through 12. He says, in him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In this uh, passage, Paul is writing that you lived in the flesh and you were of this world. And then through a spiritual circumcision of sorts, we would call it a circumcision of the heart. Your old way of life was cut off. Your old way of life was cut off and put to death and you were given a new life with new desires that are not of this world. And now our mark, our sign, we identify with Christ and with other believers through his death and his resurrection. That is our sign. That is our mark. And this is what happens when someone becomes a believer and follows Jesus. The Israelites had an external surgery, essentially a physical surgery. We as believers have an internal spiritual surgery. In Christ, we've been given a new heart. The old one just won't do. In a sense, you could look at it and say, uh, uh, you, you cannot clean up your heart. It's impossible. It is impossible to clean up your heart. And this is why our, our, our focus to non-believers is not, hey, you need to clean up your act or, hey, you need to become a better person. No, it's not you need to be a better person. It's you need to be a new person. We need to give you a new heart altogether. We need to, you need to be something else altogether. And so God looks at our heart and says, no, that won't do. That's just way too jacked up. And so I'm going to give you some spiritual surgery. I'm going to remove your old heart that had old desires, and I'm going to put a new heart into you with new desires. I'm going to cut away your old way of life, and I'm going to put my heart, my spirit into you that uh, comes with a new way of life with new desires. And this is why circumcision is not required for us. It's not a command because Jesus has circumcised our hearts. It's not a physical mark. It's a spiritual mark that shows that we belong to God and we are part of a holy community that is set apart for him and his purposes. And so as we return to our passage, all you need to know right now in this context is that circumcision is a sign of the covenantal relationship between God and his people. Why did these Israelites need to get circumcised in John 5? Well, it tells us in verses 4 through 5. Go ahead and take a look at it. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. 
Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Our passage takes notice that they needed to be circumcised because they weren't. They just, they weren't circumcised. And if you were to turn once again back to Genesis 17, as God is explaining this mark to Abraham, he actually says in Genesis 17, uh, 14, that any uncircumcised male shall be cut off from his people and have broken the covenant. So what this means is that you have an entire generation an entire generation of Israelites that has essentially been broken off from that covenantal relationship with God. They have been separated in the sorts from God because in this context, to be uncircumcised was to be cut off from God. There is a detachment from God in a sense. These Israelite people are supposed to be set apart for God and his purposes. And in order to restore and renew their relationship with God, they needed to be marked. God is saying, my land is designated for my people. So if you want to inherit and enjoy my land, that's only for my people. If you want to be my people, your relationship with me must be restored. And this is how we're going to symbolically do this. And so you can see that as this was initiated by God himself, this is an extreme act of grace and mercy on God's part. Because not only is he allowing, but inviting the Israelites to come back into a covenant relationship with him. God is righting what was wronged. God is fixing, mending what was broken. God's making it all better. And who was it that broke off this relationship in the first place? Why was this broken to begin with? Our passage tells us that it was actually the previous generation. And then in verses uh, 6 through 8, we see a contrast between the two generations that are summarized. Go ahead and take a look at it. Uh, Verse 6. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came up out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. The writer is saying that there are two generations here. We get a picture of two separate generations. One generation that has exited Egypt and one generation that is entering into the promised land. And then he compares them. And I think the writer includes this almost as a warning to the new generation. He's saying, hey, that generation that left Egypt, they were circumcised. They did carry the mark of this special relationship between, between, between God, between them and I, but they didn't obey my voice and they perished because of it. They were disobedient and they didn't inherit the land because of it. They were a rebellious nation. 
And this is why they probably didn't circumcise their kids because they had wandered away from God's ways. They were rebellious and they decided to go their own way and do their own thing. And they have now left a generation without knowing or entering into a a special relationship with God. See, you can have all the marks of a believer. You can have all the marks of the believer and still be far from God. I think there is a warning in this passage for us as readers in this, in this uh, modern times. And the warning is just this. You can come here and you can look the part. You can participate that everything the church has to offer, but your heart may still be disobedient and you still don't listen to God. You can do everything that you're supposed to do as a Christian. You can do everything that looks the part and you can fool us all. But you have to understand all of those things that you can participate in are never a substitute for faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to his voice. There are two types of people in this world. Those who listen and obey God's voice and those who don't. And our warning is yes, these marks, these things are good, but they should never substitute faith in Jesus and obedience to his word. God tells us, and he tells the Exodus generation that that left Egypt, he tells them, I need you to listen to me. I need you to obey me. And if you don't, you're going to wander and I'm going to leave you to your own vices. And this is exactly what happened to the previous generation, right? They didn't listen. They didn't obey. And God lifted his sovereign guidance from them and they floundered in the desert. God said, you want to rebel? You think you know what's best? Have at it. I'm taking my hands off. I'm going to remove my guidance from you and you will see what happens. Left to their own vices, they flounder. Of course they did, because what do you expect when ignorant people are left to their ignorant ways? What do you expect when you let people make their own decisions that are not close to God? This actually reminds me of of a time when I was a child, an ignorant child. Um, We had an evening service that was different than our morning services in the church that I grew up in. And in the evening service, they had a children's program that, that was for children up through fourth grade. Well, when I get into fifth grade, my parents come to me and they say, Michael, we believe that you are old enough to make your own decision about whether or not you should come to evening service with us or not. That was a bad choice on the side of my parents because I decided that I was going to stay home and watch wrestling. I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling when I was a kid. And I would try and mimic the wrestlers. I would climb to the top of one of our bookshelves in our family room and leap across the room onto our couch as if I'm on the top turnbuckle mimicking these wrestlers. I was a moron. (laughs) I'm lucky to be alive. My parents left me to my ignorant ways and I was a risk. I was a danger to myself. God is warning these Israelites, these current Israelites, don't be like that generation. 
Because when they were left to their own ways, it cost them the promised land. Listen to my voice. Follow my commands. Through this circumcision, God is saying that um, I have renewed my relationship with you. And in that, because of your obedience, I have given you a fresh start. I have given you a new beginning. Welcome home. Welcome home. See, this generation was carrying baggage from the prior generation that, that it needed to handle. There needed to be some kind of separation from, from the previous generation, from their, from their rebellion. There needed to be closure, and this is their way of doing that. They were moving onward from the past. They were learning, but no longer holding on. Here at FAC, as we transition, we can look to the past and grow disgruntled. We can be very upset about things that have happened in the past. We can hold on to things that are done and over with that we have no control over anymore. Or we can move forward. We can move onward. We can look onward. We can embrace what's next for FAC. If this body has hurt you in some way in the past, I am terribly sorry. But can we please put it behind us and move on? If you have not been pleased with the leadership in the past, if you're not thrilled with the direction that they've taken FAC in the past, can you please just extend forgiveness and move onward with us? We have a new beginning here, and there is a lot to be excited about. For the Israelites after their circumcision took place, after their relationship with God was restored, they finally experienced God's rest in his promises. This is the finale. Yes, there's still battles to be won, but they are finally home. And this manifests itself in three different ways in verses 9 through 12. And we're going to touch on these briefly. First, We're told in verse 9 that uh, on this day, God rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Commentators can't really seem to agree on what specifically the reproach of Egypt was, but they can all agree that it was, was definitely tied somehow to the disobedience of the previous generation. Regardless... The idea that we get from this, the feeling that we seem to get is that the Israelites had some kind of burden from their past and God has rolled it away. God has lifted that burden off of them. There was a spiritual weight and God has removed it. In a sense, it would be like if you were walking or trying to run with a backpack full of heavy bricks. You can't get anywhere very quickly. You can't really move onward if you're carrying a pile of bricks on your back. And so God has removed these pile of bricks from the Israelites. He has removed this weight off of the Israelites. In their new home, they experience rest. They experience rest. Uh, Second, in verse 10, we read that they celebrated Passover. This was a feast that honored their exodus from Egypt. 
It recalled the story of how God delivered them out of slavery. It was a celebration. And the last recorded uh, Passover in Scripture actually was the, the beginning of the second year uh, out of Egypt for the Israelites where they were on Mount Sinai. That was the last time, 40 years prior, that they celebrated Passover. And you couldn't celebrate Passover without being circumcised. So it's safe to say that this is the first time that this generation is taking part in the celebration of Passover, celebrating what God has done for them. This really signifies that this indeed is a new day for Israel. In their new home, not only do they experience rest, but they experience joy. And finally, in verses 11 through 12, we read that they ate the produce of the land. They no longer needed this manna that God provided to them in the desert. When they wandered in the desert, God would miraculously provide manna for their food from the sky. And we're told that the manna stopped falling from the sky that day. This shows us that this event is an end to an era. It's the end of the wilderness period. And they are now home living off the land that God has given them. With every bite these Israelites would delight in the full enjoyment that God has blessed them and provided them with. In their new home, they experience rest, they experience joy, they experience fulfillment. They are fulfilled. The wandering period is synonymous for rebellion against God. But now they were beyond that. They've moved on from that. The sun has set on Israel's rebellious past and a new day has dawned for them. A new joyous day has dawned. These are things that they experienced, rest, joy, and fulfillment. And the wonderful thing is, as we sit here today, we too can experience such things. You may sit here and say, I am chained to the past. Mike, I am so caught up. I am in bondage to the the things that have happened to me or the things that I have done that I cannot move on from those. Boy, would it be nice if I could experience uh, no rest. What I would give to feel joy again. What I would do to experience fulfillment. I need a new beginning. I need a fresh start. Let me encourage you that this new beginning that you're looking for isn't found in anything that you could hope to accomplish on your own. No, in fact, it's found in what somebody has already accomplished for you. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus and putting your faith in him. I mean, when Jesus died on the cross, And when he rose three days later, he declared victory and new life for everybody who follows him. Do you want a fresh start? Do you want a new beginning? And fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him. Individually, this is the most important question that you will ever answer in your entire life. Have I decided to follow Jesus? This also applies to us, I think, on a corporate level. I believe on a corporate level, 
we have a new day here at FAC. And we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate what God has done for us. And we're going to celebrate our future. In a moment, we're going to take our normal offering. And then after that, we will actually be inviting our elder treasurer up to um, give us an update on the 2020 vision. At that point, we will corporately pray for the future of our church. And I will give you further instructions when we come to that time. So with that, let me pray as we go into a time of worship through our offerings. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a fresh start. Just like you, you, you rolled away the reproach of Egypt from the Israelites, Lord, you have given us a new beginning. You have lifted a weight off of us. And I am asking you, Lord, that we would turn to you for all of our struggles, for all of our pain, for all of our burden. We thank you, Lord, for how good you've been to us. And we ask, Father, that we would turn to you now. I pray, Father, that as we take up our offering, even these funds would be used to to make Jesus' name known, to, to tell the world that there is so much hope in the name of Jesus. So would you bless our offering this morning, Lord? Would you use it to that end? And in your holy name I pray. Amen.